Amen. You can take a seat. It's good to see everybody. Tonight is different, right? We're meeting about 30 minutes earlier than we normally do, and we're probably going to get done 15 to 20 minutes earlier than we normally do with that as well. And so I have the difficult but exciting challenge of trying to condense a 30 to 35-minute sermon into about 15 minutes. So uh, do me a favor, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 28. And while you are turning, there are a couple announcements just to lay before you. Um, This is an announcement. Thanks for showing up on Super Bowl Sunday. I appreciate that. Good to see you. Um, Afterwards, we've got two or three platters of Zaxby's chicken tenders, about a million different kinds of soda, and not just like Coke, but weird stuff like cucumber soda and ginseng soda. And if anybody tried it last year, it's actually way better than you would think it would be. Uh, And then there's also some chips and some stuff that'll be there. So first announcement, stick around after service. Uh, We'd love to watch the Super Bowl with you. I don't even know what sport that is, but... I'm sure some of you do, and, uh, and it's going to be fun. So that's announcement number one. Announcement number two, uh, we have put up the link on our Facebook and our Instagram and our Bay Life page for our spring retreat, uh, and so it is open for you to register for. It's $70. It covers all of your food for the weekend and all your materials and your housing. Uh, Chris Groover, who some of you may know, uh, he's a pastor at the Village Church in Texas, Chris Groover is going to be speaking, and so after service, I'll do my best to make sure that we put that link up so you can copy it down, but registration's open, 70 bucks. Uh, if there's somebody in here who's a graduating high school senior and you're getting ready to go into college, the price drops for you, it's only $40, and so if you've also got a friend who's a high school senior who maybe wants to check things out and get connected, I would extend that to you. Lastly, next week is Valentine's Day. We are still meeting because I'm alone and I want you to suffer with me. (laughs) Um, We are meeting next week, but the following week is Baylife's Bonanza where we're celebrating being a debt-free church. And so we will not be meeting two Sundays from now. Next Sunday we'll be together. Two Sundays from now we won't. Uh, So with that being said, uh, hopefully you're in your Bibles at Matthew chapter 28. Uh, We're continuing a series we began about five weeks ago called The People of God. Uh, And in this series, what we're doing is we're examining what the marks of the church are. What does it mean for the church to be the people of God? And this series is born out of two convictions. uh, The first of which is that the church, contrary to popular opinion, is not simply a good idea that some people came up with a few thousand years ago. uh, Nor is it simply a human establishment. But instead, if we follow the line of New Testament teaching, we're convinced here at Baylife that the church, not just Baylife, but the church at large, is not man's idea, but God's idea. It is the work of God. Uh, And the building of the church is not something we do, but it's something that Christ accomplishes through human means. Uh, And the church does not belong to us, but it belongs to Jesus, because Jesus purchased the church with his blood. And because of that... The reality is that we don't get the option of remaking the church in our own image because it's not ours to do that with. Uh, But instead, we come to Scripture and say, what is it that Christ expects of his church that belongs to him? Uh, And so we've been looking at what some of the expectations of the people of God are as Scripture lays them out. The other conviction that this series is born out of is the reality that most Christians in our day and age have no understanding of what the church is. They don't understand the New Testament perspective that the church is not simply a good idea, but a divine revelation, a working of God in the world. And this is no clearer evidence than in the fact that many of us, including myself at some point, have said, I don't need to go to church. I can listen to a podcast and my Hillsong record. 
because we don't understand that the church is something that God has called us to do, to participate in, to enjoy, and to encounter him through. So in discussing the church, there's been three points we've made so far. The first is that the church is a people of the word. We're not just like an Elks Club. No offense to you if you are a member of the Elks Club. You should tell me what that is when we're done because I can't figure it out. But this isn't just a club of people who have a similar music taste or ethnic background or socioeconomic identity. Uh, This is a people who have gathered together in glad submission to the word of God written in scripture and the word of God made flesh in Christ. And that is the first and most defining mark of the church, that we are a people of the word. Uh, But we haven't gone far enough if that's the only thing that we say. Uh, Because to simply say we believe the Bible and we believe Jesus is not to say some specifics that are really important. What do you believe about Jesus? Who is he? What did he do? What has he accomplished? Uh, What do you believe the Bible teaches? And so we're not simply a people of the word, but we confess certain things to be true about the word and about the word made flesh. So we are a people of the word. We're a creedal people. And then last week we looked at Paul's uh, evangelism on Mars Hill at the Oropagus in Athens. And we talked about the fact that we're an evangelistic people, uh, that we come together under the word and recognize that there is this good news, this gospel, and good news is meant to be shared. I've had several friends who've come through uh, bouts with cancer And when they get the clear that they've gone into remission or that the tests have come back negative, that's not something they keep to themselves, right? It's good news that is to be shared. And so if what God has done in Christ is in fact good news, and that's what the word gospel means, then we should be willing to share that good news. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be a jerk on the street corner with the sign that says turn or burn. Uh, But there should be some element in our Christian lives and in our churches where we are proclaiming this good news, And this week, in the next 10 to 15 minutes that we have together, I want to talk about that we're not simply evangelistic, but we're a discipling people, that discipleship is part of what we do as the people of God. A number of years ago, in the music scene that I was a part of, there was this very strange instance where there was this drought of Christian bands where Christians weren't super highly smiled upon, which is fine because a lot of them had done things to cause them to not be well-received. But there were these two or three bands that popped up that were Christian bands, and rather than kind of giving the standard, hey, we're a Christian band, talk to us afterwards if you want to know more about it, they were really evangelistic in their presentation during their shows and their sets. And uh, so you would have bands that would give like 15 minutes of their set to presenting Uh, the Christian faith in some way, and it was often very emotional, uh, and there were people crying and screaming, and and, and, and it tended to be uh, charismatic in a lot of ways, and that's not a slight against it, but but there was often claims of healing and things happening at their shows. Uh, And then the bands, you know, being more of like the DIY punk rock ethos, they would say, well, okay, so if you just became a Christian, we brought a kiddie pool in our trailer and would love for you to get baptized behind the venue tonight. Uh, which sounds super sketchy to me. Uh, I, I wouldn't trust that, but, but that's what happened. And so uh, they would either like pop their gallon of not Fiji water, but like Zephyr Hills, so uh, water of a lower quality. Uh, and they would say, all right, we're gonna baptize you because you just became a Christian in the middle of our set and we baptize. And then they would pack up in their van and they would go on. And I had a number of friends at that time who made professions of faith during that season at some show where a band had presented an emotional appeal during their set. But what I did notice 
after this was about five to seven months later, almost all of my friends who made professions uh, had gone back on those professions. Uh, that they would say, oh, I'm not really sure I'm a Christian, or I don't even believe in God anymore. Uh, that was just kind of an emotional experience that happened a few months ago. So it was out of this, a friend of mine named Frank, for one of his classes in seminary, his evangelism class, he actually started doing some research. Does, does this music evangelism actually have any effect? And so he started contacting the, the bands that were kind of doing this punk rock revival thing where they were going from city to city and he started contacting people who'd become Christians at these shows and and essentially he gathered all this data and what basically came from his studying of the data was that generally speaking almost nobody who made a profession of faith in this setting remained a Christian for more than a few months afterwards and there were two things that he noted as being reasons why one the band almost never actually presented the gospel they presented an emotional story And so people responded to the emotion of the person speaking on stage. Uh, But the more important problem was that they would say, I'm glad you're a Christian. We baptized you in our kiddie pool behind the venue. Uh, We'll see you in six months. And then the band would pack up, and they would never see these people again, or they wouldn't see them for a full year, and they were never discipled. And so these people were left with the title Christian, knowing nothing about what it meant to be a Christian. And that's a tragedy to me because the Christian faith is not simply something that happens uh, when you change your religious preference on Facebook, but it's a whole life change. Things about the way that we interact with the world change around our acceptance of the gospel of Jesus. And that was the problem is that people got the name without the change. But the New Testament doesn't really have a category for people who convert but don't become disciples. The understanding in Scripture is that when you make this profession that Jesus is Lord, you spend the rest of your life learning what it means to live with Jesus as Lord of your life. I think all of us as Christians recognize discipleship is important, but I can just tell you, having been a Christian probably since about middle school, I prayed the prayer so many times, I don't know, um, But at least since middle school, I've never been discipled. I I figured this out on my own by reading books and asking questions. And so a lot of us recognize that discipleship is important, but many of us don't recognize what it actually is. What does it look like? There is this call on the Christian to be a disciple maker, but how do we go about doing that? And so it's with this question in mind, knowing that this is a charge of the people of God, that we would be people who make disciples, we turn to the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Jesus says this, or Matthew says this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When, he saw, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I'm with you, even to the end of the age. Now, we could preach on the Great Commission for the next, like, 15 years and never exhaust everything that's happening here. So, understand that we're... We're not trying to be exhaustive here, but there's at least a couple things, even from Christ's commission, that tell us about what the people of God should consider important and relevant when it comes to discipleship. Notice that Jesus' command is not that we would make converts, it is that we would make disciples. 
It is not simply that we would elicit professions from people, but that we would elicit submission to the Lord of creation who is Jesus Christ. My favorite of the early church fathers, a guy named Ignatius of Antioch, who I've named my cat after. Uh, His full name, the cat, is Ignatius of Antioch Low, uh, because he takes my last name as my child. (laughs) But, But he makes this statement towards the end of his life as he's on his way to martyrdom. He says, there is not now a need for people who are Christians in name only, but people who continue in the power of faith unto the end. And this is what Jesus is saying, not to go and make converts and people who have taken on a new title, but people who have taken on the yoke of the Son of God, who have become disciples. So the content of discipleship, Jesus begins to unpack. In verse 20, He says, after they've been baptized in the name of the triune God, he says that we should teach them. And this is is my first point here, that discipleship, a biblical discipleship in the church, it always involves a growth in knowledge. There is something that has taken hold of kind of our American Christianity and, and really our modern Christianity that says that when I come to church or when I'm being discipled, I want practical. Tell me what to do tomorrow. Tell me how to be a better father, how to be a better husband, how to be a better businessman, and on and on and on and on. But those things can't happen outside of a growth in knowledge of who God is. It's out of understanding who God is that we interact with his world differently. So discipleship always includes a growing in our knowledge of who God is. Here's the great tragedy. Vody Bachman, who's an African-American minister, used to be in Texas. He's now a seminary professor in Africa. He makes this incredibly convicting statement that in the modern church, we have failed to recognize the importance of older believers teaching younger believers. It is the only sector of our society where mature men and women or in theory, mature men and women, can be entirely ignorant of the content of what they've committed their lives to. So let me give you an example. Uh, this is the illustration he uses. Uh, that if you were a younger brick maker, you, you were a brick maker or you were a guy who worked in construction, and you were to go to somebody who had been laying brick and doing pavement and construction for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and were to say, can you please teach me how to do this well? If that man or woman responded by saying, I don't know anything about brick making, I don't know anything about that, they should be fired, right? They've committed their life to this and they know nothing about it. They don't know the contents of what it means to walk in this profession. But in the church, very often, and it happens with us, we've been walking with Jesus five, 10, 15 years, and a younger Christian comes and says, Can you teach me about scripture? Can you teach me about theology? Can you teach me about church history? And we go, Ask the pastor. Discipleship involves a growth in knowledge. Jesus says, teach. He gives them specific content. He says, teach them to obey all of the things that I have commanded you to do. Understand this, though, that this teaching, this content of faith that we teach people as we disciple, it's not simply this wrote, miserable, obeying out of duty. Jesus makes a statement in the Gospel of John chapter 14. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So we're not simply teaching people or teaching them what to do, but when we disciple people, we're teaching them to love Jesus. 
I've said this several times, Jake James K.A. Smith, philosopher out of Calvin College, makes this great point that we're not primarily driven by what we know, we're driven by what we love. There are plenty of times where we know things to be true and we don't act in accordance with it because we don't love those things. So we're not simply teaching people true things about God when we disciple. We're teaching people to love Christ more. And out of that knowledge and out of that love of Christ, Jesus says, if you love me, then you'll keep my commandments. This is not a duty, but a delight. So discipleship is about growth in knowledge. It is about growth in love. And lastly, out of these two things, there is a growth in holiness. Uh, The Christian life should be marked by you being more like Christ two years from now than you are on this day. As you grow in your knowledge of God, as you grow in your love of God, as you grow in your submission to the things that Christ has called us to, you should look more like Christ tomorrow than you do today. You should look more like Christ in 10 years than you do on this day. It's with this in mind that the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1 verse 28 describes everything that he's doing, everything he's tried to do in, in Colossae and in the church through his ministry. He says, it's to this end that we labor, that we would present men mature on that day. That his discipleship, everything he's done is so that on that day before Christ, he can present people to God who are holy, who have grown in their love and their knowledge of God, who are mature that he's not presenting children, he's presenting fully grown and courageous and strong and steadfast people of faith. So our discipleship is about teaching people to grow in knowledge, in love, and in holiness so that on that day, we can present those who we've poured into mature before Christ. Now, this might sound exhausting and this might sound daunting. And I know for many of us, we say, I don't know enough to do these things. I've only been a Christian for a few years and only been taking this seriously for a few months. How could I ever, how could I ever give myself to these things? But the reality is that if you've been walking with God faithfully for two weeks, you know more than the person who hasn't. The reality is that if you've walked with Christ for a year, you already have more knowledge than the person who's walked for a month. And my hope is if you walked faithfully for a year, you love him more than the day that you first made your profession. And so my hope is that we as the people of the church would recognize that we're not simply called to proclaim something, baptize people out behind the venue, and leave them to die. But instead, we proclaim the gospel and we make disciples so that on that day, we can present those who God has given us mature, having grown in their knowledge and in their love and in their holiness. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your graciousness. Uh, God, these are, these are difficult things to do. It is costly to, um, to pass the faith on, to give of our time to people who are growing. But God, I pray that you make room in our hearts to serve your church, uh, to serve people who are just starting to know you. Uh, God, I pray that we would fulfill this commission. God, it is not simply a commission for the apostles. It's a commission for the church that we would go and we would make disciples, that we would teach people what it means to obey all these things that you've commanded us. Lord, we ask that it's not by our own strength, but that it's by your Holy Spirit that we would do these things. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.